0: For your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Monday, September fourteenth, twenty fifteen. Yes, the Shemitah is officially over ended yesterday, Elul 29 ended at sunset yesterday, we are now in Tishri, the month of Tishri and Rosh Hashanah, the new uh, Hebrew Jewish New Year, which means the Shemitah is done. If anything bad happens, well, it's not related to the Shemitah, the Shemitah is in the rearview mirror. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, help you slow down, stop, open up your Bible and compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of crazy things being said out there. We actually take the time to we you know open up our Bible use sound biblical exegesis and hermeneutics to test to see if what the most popular pastors preachers teachers conference speakers and those put forward by the evangelical industrial complex is those whom we need to be listening to whose books we need to be buying and you know whose materials we need to be studying instead of God's word in our small group bible studies and yes the right word is instead of and that's the problem and uh, if you've been following me on social media you know that over the weekend I was reporting in, uh, and you know, from our uh, Shemitah monitoring, monitoring center, to uh, let people know that they were officially out of the Shemitah. You know, started with uh, the international dateline and those who were living in Australia, New Zealand, once the sun set. And I had to use some powerful technology on my iPad, <laughs> the clock app, uh, to, in order to uh, see if uh, you know the sun had set in particular parts of the world. And once the sun set, well, then they were officially out of the Shemitah and in the clear, you know, because uh, as you know, we've covered it here at Fighting for the Faith, the fear mongers and uh, the uh, kind of Hebrew calendar quacks, people who are imposing their theories and ideas on scripture without actually rightly handling God's word you know they've been all saying oh this is something could happen doesn't have to happen but it could happen and of course you know there's been tri- triple desecration on the part of the United States of America and all the and so i mean we're ripe for god's judgment and it's and you know god has been hammering the united states in conjunction with the uh, the Shemitah cycles and stuff like that and created a huge amount of fear and well an expectation that god was about ready to swing his uh His judgment sword against the United States. Now, granted, I I, I don't deny for a second that the United States has really uh, uh, worked overtime to basically thumb their nose and, you know, and basically walk off, uh, walk away from what God has called us to do. Sinners are what sinners are, you know and but the, the if you want the the uh if you want the united states or any western nation to turn around so to speak you can't actually set out with the goal of turning it around you must first as a christian get out and do what jesus has told us to do And that is proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name to all nations, including the nation you're living in right now, whether it's the United States, Canada, Great Britain, South Africa, uh, Australia, New Zealand, Singapore. We have many listeners from around the globe in, in those parts of the world. And the idea here is that, yeah, things are dark, but you can't turn things around. In fact, I can't turn things around. You can't do it. I can't do it. Only God can turn things around. And what we've seen in the past in the histories of our nations is that there was a, you know, a, a large collection of Christians within the greater culture. And Christians being what Christians are, sinners and saints, but also regenerated and bearing fruit in keeping with repentance and bearing the fruit of the Spirit in their lives, we saw that it had a positive impact on society as a whole. And as Christianity has deviated from its mission of making disciples of all nations, baptizing and teaching and has instead chased after all kinds of different fads, including the fad of the moral majority, we're going to change the uh, United, United States by politically outmaneuvering the forces of evil and pouring a lot of effort into that rather than making disciples, preaching Christ and him crucified for our sins, calling sinners to repent and then to trust Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. As a result of it, the church has become it bogged down, if you would, in the cares of this world. And as a result of getting bogged down in the cares of this world, the church has not done a good job of reproducing Christians. That comes, you know, you know, the reproducing of Christians, that comes through the preaching of the word. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. And so as a result of it, you know, we've seen as the church has gotten off mission, and this has not happened just lately. You can say this is kind of like the the major problem that uh, Christianity has faced for well over a hundred years now and you you see the problems really arising with the rise of the modernist movement and the higher criticism movement within uh, you know the academ- academic Seminaries of the different mainline denominations in the 19th and 20th centuries, the abandoning of the belief in the authority and inerrancy of God's word, and basically the changing of the Christian message from repentance and the forgiveness of sins to going out and doing good and uh, the social gospel and things like that. Not that there's anything wrong with being kind to neighbor. It's, except that's not the heart and soul of Christianity. The heart and soul and the heart message of Christianity is repentance and the forgiveness of sins. And the gospel is that Christ died for our sins and was raised again on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And so with all of these other things that are distracting the church that the church has gone after, the purpose-driven movement, the prayer of Jabez, the moral majority, you name, just name the list— All of these things have been distractions away from, away from the mission of the church to make disciples of all nations. As a result of it, Christianity as a whole has become a smaller percentage of the societies in Western civilization. And with that, with the rise of there being a greater number of impenitent dead and trespasses and sinners, sinners do what sinners do. You want to see things turn around? Get back to preaching the gospel, making disciples, baptizing, teaching, proclaiming repentance and the forgiveness of sins, and this whole Shemitah nonsense. And that's what it is. It's nonsense. Um, there's a lot of people who've, you know, literally had all kinds of eschatological anxiety. And what what is the message that the world has been hearing from Christians over the last few months as we've gotten closer and closer to the month of September and Elul twenty nine? They heard a lot about the shemitah. They didn't hear anything about Jesus and Him crucified for their sins. They heard a lot about God potentially judging the United States and wiping out its economy, but they didn't hear anything about Christ and Him crucified. For the forgiveness of our sins, and to told to repent and to trust in Christ. They've heard a lot about oh, the four blood moons, which, by the way, the fourth blood moon is still coming up. It's not here yet, so we still have that bullet we need to dodge. Apparently, but you know, so what is what is the world hearing from Christianity? Shmita, four blood moons, economic catastrophe, God's judgment. And nobody's actually getting a direct revelation from God that this is exactly what God is going to do. Nobody is. Nobody. We've been given the message of repentance and the forgiveness of sins. Let's stay on topic. Let's stay on mission. Let's keep our message what Christ has told us the message should be. Read Luke 24 if you're not sure. And that will be the thing that God uses To regenerate people, you know, take sinners who are on their way to hell and regenerate them, fill them with the Holy Spirit, make them alive in Christ and give them faith, and then they will bear fruit in keeping with repentance. That's the idea. But, uh, you know, as long as we continue to get distracted by this nonsense, which is what the Shemitah is, which is what the four blood moons is, just total Fear mongering, profiteering, P R O F I T, profiteering, on the part of some enterprising false teachers who've made a ton of money. You know, basically getting everybody's eschatological anxiety up to a high level. I mean, we're at threat level, you know, red or something like that on the eschatological chart with no clear word from God that we should. The signs that we're seeing in the world. Are they are indicators of increasing birth pangs, but nothing of the imminent right now God's going to come and judge the uh, United States kind of thing. You know, n- none of that at all. So unfortunately, we've been off on a wild goose chase. Much of evangelicalism, you know, just think of all the energy, anxiety, money, and you know, and just time, effort, it br- dreams, nightmares spent on this nonsense, and all of it should have been rejected immediately as false teaching that wasn't actually, uh, that cannot be, you know, squared with what God's Word says. And so, you know, right now, you know, one of the things I've said on social media is that, you know, I'm vying for, if you would, trying to win the eschatological triple crown this year. And, you know, I I say that tongue-in-cheek, but it's to make a point you know, here we are, you know, we're post Shemitah. nothing, you know, the, the God did not wipe out the U.S. economy during the Shemitah. Nope, didn't move that, didn't do that at all. So now what's Jonathan Kahn doing? Well, he's moving the uh, the goalposts, you know. Well, don't forget about Tishri, the, the 10 days of awe. Don't forget about the Jubilee. You, you know, what? Really? Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Um we got a major problem here. None of the stuff he's teaching is actually what God's Word says. All he's doing is doing the same thing that William Tapley does, except for he's got better chops and a better publisher and a lot more people, you know, out there marketing his stuff. And as a result of it, a lot of people are buying into it. But you know, the the damage that's been done to the body of Christ is huge, because you know, just think about it. All of those unbelievers out there who have been told Christianity is all about four blood moons and the Shemitah, and the Shemitah turns out to be a total dud. What does that do for the credibility of Christianity? Answer, it absolutely hurts the credibility of Christianity. Why? Because Christians should have never listened to this man, because what he was teaching is not biblical. Instead, they just jumped on the bandwagon. And of course, you know, since I'm raining on their parade on social media, they're very upset at me. And I understand that, but the person they should be upset at is Jonathan Kahn. Person they should be upset at is Jim Baker. The pe- person they should be upset at is Larry Huck. Yeah, but no, they're they're mad at me for daring to question, challenge the teaching of the Shemitah. But anyway, so we still have, like I said, we have the uh, fourth blood moon that we have to contend with. That's coming up, and uh, oh man, that's just gonna be a mess. And of course, then we also have, uh, the October 7th, apparently, you know, the, the world's going to end. So I'm, I'm shooting for the eschatological triple crown. I, I think that would be a good thing to put on my resume someday, you know, winner of the 2015 eschatological triple crown and the guy who actually bet against the Shemitah, the uh, fourth blood moon and the, um, <laughs> and the October 7th uh, end of the world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, you get what I'm saying. So, what do we need to do from this point forward? Shemitah's in the rearview mirror. If anything happens, I mean, if there's an earthquake, a tsunami, you know, you know, a market crash or whatever, and someone says, "Ah, oh, the Shemitah, you say, no, the Shemitah ended at sunset on, uh, on Sunday, September 13th. It has nothing to do with the Shemitah. That's not the Shemitah at all. Anyway, let's talk about what we're going to do on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. We have two things we're going to take a look at in hour number one. Uh, Glenn Beck has uh, made another appearance at a uh, Christian church, and I want you to hear what the pastor of this Christian church uh, said regarding uh, Glenn Beck's appearance. He appeared at the Crossing Church in Tampa, Florida, and we're going to listen to the uh, the pastor of the uh, church at the Crossing Church introducing Glenn Beck, and we'll listen to a little bit of what Glenn Beck has to say, and uh, sometime in there we'll take a break. When we come back from the break, we're going to do an extended Beth Moore update, And This is going to be part one. We'll probably do part two. I don't know if it'll be tomorrow. It might be this week or next week, but this is a very alarming message that we're hearing from Beth Moore. Do you remember... Uh, A while back, I think it was last summer, I, I covered the fact that Beth Moore claimed that she had heard from God regarding some kind of unity thing that's supposed to be coming down the pike and how people would be opposing it. Well, now she's actually on the Life Today television program teaching on the importance of unity without paying attention to the fact that unity for the sake of unity with those who are teaching a false gospel and who are twisting God's word is contrary to what God's word says. And then in hour number two, we're, we're going to be listening to a sermon from a, a church we've never listened to a sermon before uh, from, and it's, um, it's a sermon about emojis. Yeah, emojis. Uh, I'll give you the details in hour number two. So we're going to dive into the program proper, and since we're doing a Glenn Beck update, that requires us to do this. I
1: believe that the Lord God created the universe. I believe. He sent his only son to die for my sins. And I believe that ancient Jews built boats and sailed to America. I am a Mormon and a Mormon just
0: believes. That's right. I am a Mormon and a Mormon just believes. And so what we're going to be listening to here, we're going to be listening to uh, Greg Dumas of uh, the Crossing Church in Tampa, Florida. As he introduces Glenn Beck and the things that he says, to say that we, they are irresponsible would be, um, well, an understatement is the best way I can put it. So without any further ado, here is Greg Dumas of the Crossing Church, Tampa, Florida, who over the weekend had Glenn Beck speaking at their mega church. Here we go.
2: Hello, South Shore. What's going on? Hallelujah. Thank you, God. Amen. Let me pray us in, Father. Thank you for a wonderful day. Thank you, God, for your anointing, your blessing. Thank you for uh, cleanliness and clarity. We thank you for your spirit in this house, change lives today. In Jesus' mighty name, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, uh, if you haven't heard, uh, Mr. Glenn Beck is here today. All right. Um, we tried to get him. We were trying to schedule him for January to do kind of a conference setting and. And uh, it just so worked out. It was pretty quick the way it worked out that he could come on this historic Shemitah weekend. It sounds kind of funny. We're like, it's Shemitah weekend. Anyway. Really,
0: really. So uh, Greg Dumas there at the Crossing Church says it's Shemitah weekend. Yeah, he's even bought into the lies. We continue.
2: That uh, he is here today. God is doing amazing things. I want you to know that uh, uh, he is gifting his time here with us. And so let's thank the Lord for that. Amen. It's,
0: uh, well, at least the false doctrine was free.
2: Amen. A significant, significant thing that God is doing as he's aligned this. Uh, I want you to know this, too. Uh, I'm going to be as clear as I can, just as precise as I can. Glenn is, is Mormon. We are not. Say we're not. Okay. Uh, Do you get that? Everybody cool with that? Okay. Uh, and, and so we, we don't affirm Mormon, Mormonism or the tenets of Mormonism. Uh, And that's not the direction we're going. That's not what today is all about. What we want to do is we want to affirm Mr. Glenn Beck in several things. Okay, I've talked to him personally and uh, with some other very pronounced Christian leaders that have spoken with him personally. Uh, And and I said, so tell me about Jesus. He said, Jesus is the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by him.
0: Yeah, the problem is you didn't ask him about who Jesus is. Yeah, who Jesus is. He believes that Jesus is the spirit brother of Lucifer. So we got a problem there. You're basically trying to assure people that Glenn Beck believes in the same Jesus that uh, historic Christianity believes in, and that's not true. He believes in the Jesus of Mormonism, who is just
2: one God of many gods. We continue. Okay, that's it. So... So we're not lumping in Mormonism. We're saying we're agreeing with uh, Glenn Beck on, on these in these areas. And then I said, "Okay, tell me about God." He said, uh, "God is is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's our God."
0: Yeah, you need to ask him. Is God the uh, the Holy Trinity—Father, Son, and Holy Spirit—who has been and always will be from eternity past, or is God just one of many gods who became a god? after he was obedient to his God as a man. That's what you should have asked.
2: So when you hear him talk about Jesus and you hear him talking about God, I want to be clear that we're talking about the same God. No,
0: you are not. And Greg, you are absolutely irresponsible for making a statement like that. You are deceiving the people of your congregation.
2: Thirdly, we can affirm uh, that he has a message to our nation that is pertinent to the church, and he is an expert. Thank you. Come on, let's thank God. Okay <clears throat> so here 's the end you 're going to hear him say that we need to be together and we need to stand together, and nothing is more important stand together. Notice the unity theme uh, than that church, and so where we can stand together, we need to stand together, even if you don 't agree with the tenets of the faith uh, in in other areas. Do you understand Church, so, so listen to me, let, let me let me try to clarify this for you so. We could stand with our Catholic brothers and sisters uh, in, in an issue like abortion, but we would not stand when the Pope on the 25th of this month, when he comes out and says that Palestine should be, uh, and he, he you know, sends this to the UN, that Palestine should be recognized as a state, we would not stand with Catholicism in that area in the name of Jesus. Okay, so, so, so listen, do you, do you understand... That this isn't about, this isn't about uh, Mormonism. And when you hear him talk about Jesus, that's our Jesus. When you hear him talk about God, that's our God. When you hear him talk about... No, it's not. The
0: Jesus of Mormonism, the Jesus that Glenn Beck believes in, is not the same Jesus as the Jesus of Scripture and the Jesus who is. The God of Mormonism is not the same God as
2: our God. The importance of the message is for us to wake up. It's to wake up. It's to wake up. and we will stand together uh, where we can stand together. We will that doesn't mean we're going to blend Christianity and Mormonism we're just going to we're going to become this because the tenets of Yeah, but that's what you're doing
0: by saying that the Jesus Glenn Beck believes in is the same as our Jesus. They're distinct, they're
2: different. Does everybody understand? Okay, so under covering and anointing and grace, I'll tell you one thing. There's not a lot of people weeping over our country, but he is. He is. He is and I, and I and I have a great deal of respect for him i, I don 't know him very well, but I know that in speaking with him uh, personally um, I, I, I personally got to witness his heart and and what 's going on the weight you, you could not imagine the national weight that 's on this man and and the and the weight so so the thing is uh, no one else is doing what he 's doing no one else is saying what he 's saying it 's a late hour in our country church it 's a very late hour, and we 've got to wake up. I was talking of one very prominent Christian. Uh, yeah, no,
0: I agree. We need to wake up. That means we need to stop listening to false teachers, and we need to stop going against what Scripture tells us to. Uniting with Mormons, really? Scripture is clear. You have a different Jesus, a different gospel, that you, you don't, you're not even a Christian
2: leader in our country and he's kind of the father of a bunch of fathers and he said he kind of talks in a deep voice you'd know if i name him i'm not going to name him today he said you know pastor greg i said yeah he said it's a shame that god had to send the evangelicals a man who is a former alcoholic and a mormon to give us the message i said yeah it's pretty it's a deal isn't it so you know what here's what i want to tell you god's down to us God's down to us, and it's, I, I pray, I, I'm going to, I'm going to pray, and as I pray, I'm going to ask Mr. Beck to come, come forward. I don't know if he's down there. He is right there. Um, I'm going to ask you to begin to come to the, to the stage. Now, matter of fact, let's give him a big, big hand today at the crossing. <laughs>
3: I love you. I love you.
2: Yep, that's good. That's good. Okay. That's good. Yeah. Let me pray. Hold on, hold on. Don't sit yet.
0: All right. Now what we're gonna do is we're gonna take our first break right there. And when we come back, we'll listen to a little bit of what Glenn Beck had to say at the Crossing Church. After he was after the people there at the Crossing Church in Tampa, Florida were assured uh that uh that he could see into his Glenn Beck's heart and uh and that the Jesus that Glenn Beck believes in is exactly the same Jesus as you and I believe in uh with that, and the theological doctrinal test that he gave uh, Glenn Beck i mean clearly i mean really nailed down and got deep into the nitty gritty of uh Mormon doctrine and the difference between their Jesus and um our Jesus their God and our God. And and everyone there was assured. Oh yes, he is. He believes in the same Jesus we do. When in reality, he does not. All right, we're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me. Uh, any, regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My mail address is talkback at com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, Facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at Pyro Christian. Quick break when we come back. A little bit of Glenn Beck and then a Beth Moore update. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We will be right back.
2: Relevance, schmelllevance. We preach Christ crucified for our sins. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're
1: listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Church Day Select.
4: And now, Max Holiday's Bird Cage Cheer proudly presents
5: Sessions with Mildred. Um, Mr. Sunshine, your three o'clock appointment
1: is here. Oh, good. Send them right on in. Will do, Mr. Sunshine. Oh, dear, I've completely forgotten who I'm meeting. Let's just see who it is.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Let's see. Oh, yes. Uh, Mr. Brightweight was at 1 o'clock. Miss Woodhead was at 2. And at 3, we have... No.
5: Hello? Oh dear, not again.
1: Sorry about that. It was merely a reflex action. I'm trying to get that fixed. So, anyway, why are you here today?
5: I was assigned to you again after my attitude didn't improve last time. Did you forget already? It must be because you don't like me.
1: Of course I don't. Uh, uh, hate you. Nobody hates you here. We all love it when you're not around. I, 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 I mean uh, <laughs> <laughs> Let's get down to business. We're here to discuss how you performed in our newest Lead Like Jesus program. I'll just pull up the complaint file here <laughs> 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 Let's start from the
4: beginning Approximately three hours later.
1: So after you failed to walk on the lake, you then disappeared for two weeks and were luckily found by hikers in the mountain who claim they found you deliriously raving about how you refused to turn a rock into bread. Do you have anything to say for yourself?
5: But I thought I was leading like Jesus, like you told me to. Uh,
1: I think you failed to see the purpose of this ministry outreach. There are a few accounts that even I can't even
5: understand. Here, explain this one right here. Well, in Matthew 21, Jesus cursed a fig tree and it withered away because it didn't bear any fruit. So my neighbor down the street planted a lemon tree about three years ago. And I've never seen any lemons on it. So, I walked over and cursed it, but it wouldn't die, so I used sulfuric acid instead.
1: What are you doing to my tree? You maniac,
5: get out of my yard! Uh... What? Why is my tree melting? Sir, do you have a moment to talk about the Lead Like Jesus program?
1: No, I don't have time to! Stop changing the subject! Get off my lawn! Stop! Stop! stop. I I get it! Okay, how on earth did you get banned for life from the local soup kitchen?
5: Well, remember the feeding of the 5,000 in Matthew chapter 14? Yes,
1: we all know the story! You don't mean to tell me!
5: Well... All right, Mildred, we have a large shipment of food that just came in. We need you to direct the men to put it where it all belongs.
1: Right, where do you want it all?
5: Oh, sir, we don't need your food today. I'm just going to leave like Jesus and have God provide these people with food. What?
1: If you don't mind me saying, but I think God provided all the food on this heavily laden truck.
5: It's okay. My pastor had a vision that this would work.
1: Well, that settles it. Men, we've got the wrong place. We thought this was a soup kitchen, but it turns out that this is a loony bin. Head out!
5: Uh, Mildred? Where's the food? Don't worry. This is all the food we need. That's just two its crackers and three dead goldfish. I'm leading like Jesus. If you just give me a wicker basket, I'll lift it up and God will multiply it. The only thing that's going to multiply is the number of bruises on your face!
1: Good gravy! That's not what you're supposed to be doing at all!
5: But I'm supposed to... I do
1: You're supposed to lead like Jesus. But you've clearly took this too literally. And this last one about you making a whip from electrical cords and chasing the poor baristas from the coffee shop in the church foyer while screaming something about brood of vipers and uh, turning God's house into a den of robbers is, is taking it too far. Well... No! Not again! No more flashbacks! Why do you keep getting these anyway? Sunshine, open up. This is the police. We received an anonymous phone call from Biblical Repair about you corrupting the youth and forcing them to do terrible things in the name of God. Curse you, anonymous caller! I can't go back to prison! You'll never take me alive, coppers!
5: Ah! Um, does this mean our session is over?
0: Listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that eschatological fear mongers and uh, Hebrew calendar quacks are not actually in tune with what God's Word says regarding the end times and God's judgment. Just a reminder Fighting for the Faith is listener supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. And you can partner with us. That's right. It's a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $8.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. It's a great way to support us. Of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you could do so by clicking on the donate button. Or you can make your gift payable, too, fighting for the faith, and then send it to post office box 13344 Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support, because we truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. All right, we're going to continue now with uh, a little bit of uh, Glenn Beck's message to the Crossing Church in Tampa, Florida, after the folks there were assured that he believes in the same Jesus we believe in, and the same God that we believe in, although the... um, questions in order, that were asked in order to arrive at this conclusion never address the heart of the matter regarding the differences between the Mormon Jesus and the biblical Jesus. So here's uh, now Glenn Beck and the things he said there. We'll just listen to a few minutes.
3: How lucky you are to have a pastor that is as brave as this man is. We are... we are we are in extraordinary times and i have to tell you something we don't agree on a lot when it comes to when it comes to our theology our theology is different but i will tell you right now we are the body of christ uh, so the theology is different but we we
0: we as in you know mormons who believe in a different Jesus altogether on Jesus, the spirit brother of Lucifer. Um, the, we, we are the body of Christ. This is not biblical unity. This is the kind of unity that God's word forbids.
3: I will, I will accept if you want to put me and my fellow uh, uh, parishioners or uh, congregants and make us the armpit of the body of Christ, or this little part right here, I'm okay with that. It's st- yeah, but the problem is,
0: the Jesus you believe in is not the biblical Jesus. The gospel you believe in is a false gospel. You're not part of the body of Christ, even the armpit. Body of
3: Christ, I'm still okay with that. And besides, if we're the armpit, we got to make the cool noises. But if your pastor and I just heard it, if your pastor isn't offending you on every single weekend, he's not doing his job because there is a problem with. Yeah, if he's going to offend
0: people, it needs to be the offense of the cross, the gospel, the exclusivity of Christ and who Jesus
3: really is truth in our country and in our world we're no longer accepting of the truth we no longer want to hear the truth the truth makes us uncomfortable but that's what the gospel of jesus christ is supposed to do
0: the irony here is unbelievable glenn beck saying we don't want to hear the truth yet they were told lies that more that the jesus he believes in is the same jesus as the jesus of christianity I mean, this is bizarre. This is the most irrational, bizarre nonsense I've heard in a long time. And I hear a lot of it on a daily basis.
3: It's supposed to wake us up. And I don't know about you, but my mother used to come into my bedroom and she used to yank my covers off and she'd turn on the light. She'd give me a couple warnings and then she would do that. And I hated that. But you know what? She woke me up and got me out of bed. And that's what needs to happen in all of our churches. And as Pastor Greg said, he's down to us. The gentleman that he was talking about said that in front of me about five, six years ago. We were sitting with a bunch of pastors and he said, I just got up and I shared my testimony and I was asking them to gather together for something we did in Washington, D.C. And... There were 29 of the biggest pastors. We invited 30, all but one came. And I shared my testimony and then I gave them my ask and asked and begged if we could all just stand together because the Lord's work needs to be done. And he did say that. He said, shame on us. That God...
0: Yeah, the Lord's work, the Lord has given us work to do. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing, teaching, all that Christ has commanded. The real Jesus, the biblical Jesus. Yeah, um, proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins in that Jesus' name, not the Jesus
3: of Mormonism.
0: Man, this is... uh,
3: Would have to go to an alcoholic Mormon. (laughs) But you know what? Look at his history. Look at the Lord's history. Martin Luther King, I had a real hard time with figuring Martin Luther King out because his personal life... He was not a good guy. He was cheating on his wife. Lord, how could you possibly use that man? How did that happen? I know what he was doing was righteous and right, but I know in his personal life, he was a mess. How did you, how did you use that? Thank God. Thank God he can use that mess. I can guarantee you...
0: So now we have kind of the evangelical slash Mormon doctrine of God being able to use. Yes, God only uses sinners. I don't know if you've figured this out yet, but there ain't nobody on the planet who isn't ungodly, who isn't a sinner. And so God in his sovereign will has chosen that the message of the gospel and the work of the kingdom is done by forgiven sinners. That's all there
3: is. That just like with us, Martin Luther King was the only one that would say, here I am, Lord, use me. Here I am. Everybody else is too afraid. They're afraid to lose their position. They're afraid to lose their reputation. They're, they're afraid that the people will come out. Have you read what people are saying about, about your pastor for inviting me? They're afraid to step out into the light all by themselves. They're afraid to do it. They're afraid to lose their job. They're afraid to lose their money. They're afraid to lose their reputation. And it got down to Martin Luther King where he said, I'll do it. All right. I'll do it. That's who we need to be. The people who will stand up and say, I don't care, Lord. Let me share my testimony with you of Jesus Christ and the atonement of Jesus Christ. I am a guy. I don't know how many people listened to me when I was, when I was first on here in Tampa. But I joined my church right before I, I came to Tampa. And there were people who didn't want me even to be a Mormon. They were like, the Mormons rejected me. <laughs> and so I'm like, geez. I mean, I thought anybody could get in there. <laughs> I've changed a lot. I've changed a lot since those times. And... In 1990, I was a different man even from then. Now, I'm going to point something out here.
0: This is important. There's good reason why God has given the Ten Commandments, and there are two tables to the Ten Commandments. The second table of the Ten Commandments has to deal with our relationship with each other. And Mormons, they excel at second table. They spend a lot of time on second table. But the first commandment is, you will have no other gods before me, first table. So I'm glad that Glenn Beck is a recovering alcoholic. I'm, you know, I applaud him for his patriotism. It's it's applaudable. I applaud him for him n- noticing and uh, trying to do something about the, what's happening to this country. No problem with that whatsoever. All of that's second table. But the problem here is is that he does not worship. The true God, he worships a false God. The first table, you will have no other gods before me. The God he believes in is not the God who is. And so here we've got a problem, and that is, is that at this church, the Crossing Church, and this isn't the only church we've covered this year. He, he, over Fourth of July, they had a freedom experience out there at, uh, at Ed Young's Church, Fellowship Church in, uh, in Dallas-Fort Worth area. And uh, here's the problem is that this is a mixing of the, of the, of the first table. This is a, 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 a complete rejecting of what God commands in the first table. First commandment, you will have no other gods before me. And the Mormon God is not the God who is. So this is, I mean, this is absolute confusing. Of of all kinds of categories, and you know what? Yeah, it's an emergency. All oh, the uh, the country's going to hell in a handbasket. We got to do something. We got to step up. We got we got to be willing to fight with whomever. Fine, do that out in the civic realm. Don't bring his god into our churches and then lie to people and say that he believes in the same god we do because he doesn't. The god he believes in was once a man and then became a god. That's right, the Mormons believe in the law of eternal progression. As man is, God once was. As God is, man can become. That's what Mormons teach. They do not believe that God is eternal, the Holy Trinity, and has always been and will ever be. No, they believe that gods are created. And Glenn Beck is doing his best to make himself worthy one day to become a god. That means he's not our brother. He's not part of the body of Christ. And it's one thing to talk about our duty as citizens of the United States, but it crosses the line into absolute sin to put up the false pretense and create the false impression that Mormons believed in the same God that we do, even Glenn Beck. Moving along. Time for a Beth Moore update. That's right able to narsigate the biblical passage and twist it into a pretzel faster than a hummingbird on three cups of uh, mocha from starbucks it's time for another installment of beth moore twists god's word and this is slick it's subtle and it's really really dangerous enjoying the music here for a second Flight of the Bumblebee, from the Canadian Brass. You can find that, by the way, on YouTube. So what we're going to be listening to is a recent episode of the Life Today television program. And Beth Moore, they have their Wednesdays with Beth, um, or Wednesdays in the Word, and Beth Moore is one of their female teachers, always having a female teacher, teach the Bible on the uh, Life Today television program, which I think says a lot, don't you? But uh, what we're going to be hearing, and this is part one, we're going to actually... Spend some time you know analyzing this in depth. This is part one, and this is an extremely dangerous message and this fits with what uh, what we hear, heard Beth Moore talking about last summer when she was talking about how there was going to be some kind of unity. God had spoken to her and told her that this unity thing was coming, and uh, it yeah, it utterly creeped me out at the time. But now she's decided to go ahead and, and you know, fill in the details and try to give a biblical um, teaching, if you would, on the importance of unity. And of course, Scripture makes it clear that unity for the sake of unity is not what Christians are to be about. Here's Beth Moore to explain
6: going to be talking about in this present series, coming to some understanding with one another that we don't always have to agree. We don't even always have to understand one another, but that we are a body of believers. All of those, every one of us who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and call him savior. We are family. We are family. Now, we're going to draw a parallel. I'm going to really need your patience in my first reading segment because it's going to be long. But if, if you'll just be visual with it, if you'll picture it, if you'll picture what is happening on the page, we're going to go to this Old Testament portion where we're going to see that David is calling upon Solomon, his son. This is just prior uh, to King David's death. The year is 970 BC. David um, is very, very near the end of his life, and we're not sure how Old Solomon is. But here's what we're seeing. He has got all the preparations put together for the building of the great temple, Solomon's temple. And so he's going to give him his instructions and call him forth in front of the people and call him to courage. I want you to hear it. I'm going to read all the way through. If you'll just give me patience, I'm going to just be with me here on this page. I'm going to start reading in first Chronicles 22 verse two, and I want to read all the way through the end of the chapter. So again, if you'll just picture it, and then what we're going to do is turn to the new Testament and we're going to start drawing parallels. But I don't think we can appreciate our New Testament passage quite the same if we don't go here to begin with. So look at these words, verse 2, 1 Chronicles 22. David commanded to gather together the resident aliens who were in the land of Israel. And he set stone cutters to prepare dressed stones for the building of the house of God. Now, what was he going to build it with? Somebody tell me dressed What? Somebody say it again. Stones. Stones. David also provided great quantities of iron for nails for the doors of the gates and for clamps, as well as bronze in quantities beyond weighing, and cedar timbers without number. For the Sidonians and Tyrians brought great quantities of cedar to David. For David said, Solomon, my son, is young and inexperienced. I want everybody to say that with me. Young and inexperienced. you know anybody like that? Say it one more time. Young and inexperienced the house that is to be built for the Lord must be exceedingly magnificent of fame and glory throughout all lands. I will therefore make preparation for it. So David provided materials in great, great quantity before his death. Verse six. Then he called for Solomon, his son, and charged him to build a house for the Lord, the God of Israel. David said to Solomon, my son, I had it in my heart to build a house to the name of the Lord, my God. But the word of the Lord came to me saying, you have shed much blood and waged great wars. You shall not build a house to my name.
0: Now I'm going to pause right there. She's reading from 1 Chronicles and the account of uh, who's going to end up building the temple of God. And she's going to cross-reference this with Ephesians chapter 2 and then try to make this the core of her teaching regarding unity. And again, I've made the claim and I'm going to back it up now that uh, unity for the sake of unity is not what we as Christians are called to do. In fact, we are c- called to do the contrary. We cannot unite with those who are teaching false doctrine. And we'll start with uh, 2 John. Second John, and I'll start at verse 1. Here's what uh, the Apostle John writes to an a, a elect lady. This is probably a woman who had the church meeting at her home. You've got to remember that uh, in the time when this was written, there were not church buildings like we have today. Uh, churches didn't own property, and Christianity was pretty much an underground movement. And when the, uh, when the church would meet, they would often meet at a benefactor's house, somebody who had a home large enough to actually have a church service. And so he's writing to a woman who has a church meeting in her home, and that's the important part. You kind of have to understand what's going on here and uh, you'll you'll get the context, but here's what John writes. He says, "The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth because of the of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. grace, mercy, and peace be with be with us, and from God the Father, and from the Lord Jesus uh, Christ the Father's Son in truth and in love." I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard it from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, Those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh, such a one is the deceiver and is the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching... Do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. And in this case, this is talking about the church. Don't receive him into the church or even greet him. Whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Now, by the way, if you want to know what this looks like in practice as far as uh, what not to do, Greg Dumas of Crossing Church in Tampa, Florida giving a greeting and welcoming Glenn Beck, someone who does not abide by the truth and is teaching false doctrine, by letting him into the church and greeting him and saying he's a brother and giving him a platform to preach as if he were a Christian brother, that is in direct contradiction to what Second John is talking about here. Don't receive him into your house means literally don't receive him into the church because the church met at this woman's house. So now you've got a passage that you know you can understand what just went wrong there. Let me give you another two passages also, and this is important. Why is there divisions within the church? Answer, because there are false teachers. It is not those who teach the truth or those who rebuke false teachers who are causing divisions in the body of Christ. Proof of this is found in Jude. Jude verse 17 is where I'll start. Jude writes, he's the half-brother of Jesus, but you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions, it is these who cause divisions. They are worldly people and devoid of the Spirit. Worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. The ones who cause divisions literally are the false teachers. Teachers like Glenn Beck and others. And then Romans chapter 16, the Apostle Paul writes, he says in this, in verse 17, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions. Who is it that causes divisions? Watch this. And they create obstacles that are contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them, for such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but they serve their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. So scripture is clear. It is not the true teachers, those who rebuke false teachers, who those who correct and expose those who are teaching false doctrine, who are the ones who are causing divisions in the body of Christ. It is the false teachers and scripture says that we're not to let them into our church and give them a platform to teach and to preach and to greet them in our churches and they, we are to avoid those who are teaching false doctrines. So that's important. So scripture makes it clear that we are not to have unity for the sake of unity. But let's see where Beth Moore is going to take this.
6: Because you have shed so much blood before me on the earth. Behold, a son shall be born to you who shall be a man of rest. I will give him rest from all his surrounding enemies, for his name shall be Solomon, and I will give peace and quiet to Israel in his days. He shall build a house for my name. He shall be my son, and I will be his father, and I will establish his royal throne in Israel forever. Pause there just a moment. I'll tell you something I hope you'll find is interesting interesting we're going to go um throughout the rest of the reading in the chapter in just a moment but stop here because it says his name shall be solomon and I will give peace and quiet to Israel in his days. There is a word play going on here. There is beautiful narrative art, especially in Hebrew, certainly in both languages um, in, the, um, in the scriptures. But the Hebrew art is gorgeous. And right here, there's a word play taking place. In Hebrew, Solomon's name would be pr- pronounced, listen carefully to it, Shilomo, Shilomo. Not Solomon, like we would say it, but if we were Hebrew and we were saying it like they would have said it, it would have been Shalomo. I'll say it in three distinct syllables so you'll hear it, Shalomo, but you kind of just run it all in together, Shalomo. Anybody? Everybody say it back to me. <laughs> say it one more time. <laughs> Do you hear anything of Shalom in Shalomo? Because that is the play on words, because he's saying he will have peace in his lifetime, because the name Solomon means peace. And it means it in all the ways of Hebrew peace. When you and I think of peace, we think about cessation from all activity. We think about um, just sitting still, completely tranquil. Um, we think about um, uh, all strife, ceasing, almost being in a state of inactivity. That is not what Hebrew peace was all about. Um, Hebrew peace is peace like a river. You might know what I'm talking about. Not peace like a pond. It's peace like a river. It's a live peace. Um, It's the kind of peace that comes with wholeness, with prosperity of soul. Um, It is a word that means um, shalom and the name Solomon, shlomo, meant to be intact. And the reason why I bring this up is because somebody listening right now may be in pieces And I want you to know, if if you really need somehow for God to just pull you together and pull you together into a group of people where you can know the kind of joy and the kind of fellowship that comes from the unity that we're going to see in the Word of God that God calls us to, listen, you're in the right place in our present series. So pick this up with me as we see this Solomon, this one who will have a reign of peace. Verse 11... First Chronicles 22. Now, my son, the Lord be with you so that you may succeed in building the house of the Lord, your God, as he has spoken concerning you. Only may the Lord grant you discretion and understanding that when he gives you charge over Israel, you may keep the law of the Lord, your God. Then you will prosper if you are careful to observe the statutes and the rules that the Lord commanded Moses for Israel. Look at, look at this next portion. Be strong and courageous. Fear not. Do not be dismayed. With great pains I have provided for the house of the Lord 100,000 talents of gold, a million talents of silver, and bronze and iron beyond weighing, for there is so much of it. Timber and stone, too, I have provided. To these you must add. You have an abundance of workmen, stone cutters, masons, carpenters, all kinds of craftsmen, without number, skilled in working gold, silver, bronze, and iron. Arise and work, the Lord be with you. I want to say those words again. Arise and work, the Lord be with you. Would you repeat those words? Arise and work, the Lord be with you. We're almost done with the portion. Keep reading. Verse 17, David also commanded all the leaders of Israel to help Solomon, his son, saying, Is not the Lord your God with you? And has he not given you peace on every side? For he has delivered the inhabitants of the land into my hand, and the land is subdued before the Lord and his people. Now set your mind and heart to seek the Lord your God. Arise and build the sanctuary. If I say those words, arise and build the sanctuary of the Lord God, so that the ark of the covenant of the Lord and the holy vessels of God may be brought into a house built for the name of the Lord. Arise and build the sanctuary. So here's what I want to show you. God has called his people into the building of a holy temple that has such a parallel to the majesty and the glory. And the very presence of the Lord God in Solomon's temple, that it is stunning. And until we're looking back at it and drawing that parallel, we can't begin to appreciate what is happening in Ephesians chapter 2. I want you to go with me now all the way to the New Testament. Leave something here uh, in your Bibles in First uh, Chronicles 22. We'll come back and forth just a little bit. But primarily, we're going to stick around in Ephesians chapter Two, You saw all the materials that it took, all the gold, all the silver, all the wood, all the stones. I want you to get every bit of the feeling of all that construction taking place as we draw four different parallels between Solomon's temple and the temple God has been building since the life, death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to read to you Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. It says this, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Listen carefully to 21 and 22. This is so beautiful in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Verse 22, in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. I want you to notice, this whole series is about being built together that there is something we become together that we could never be apart, that we were called as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, despite all of our denominations, despite... Whoa,
0: notice what she just did there, despite all of our denominations. Now, that is basically to just gloss over all of the doctrinal differences. So we've we've got a huge problem here. She's just glossing over all of the, you know, and basically calling for unity for the sake of unity.
6: All of our differences, if we share faith in the lordship of Jesus Christ, we are being built into a holy temple for him to display his majesty and his glory.
0: So the only thing you have to do is believe in the lordship of Jesus Christ. That's it. Well, Roman Catholics believe that, but they don't believe the biblical gospel, and Roman Catholics have anathematized the gospel.
6: And I mean, this is just critical to our understanding to see that he is pulling us together so that in this gathering of believers, he can show his fame and majesty throughout the entire world earth i want to remind you what it said in first chronicles 22 remember when he said and um, when david said to solomon the, the majesty of it the fame will be worldwide i mean this will be one of the wonders of the world we are meant to be that
0: so the unity of the christian church is supposed to be one of the wonders of the world but what about those who are teaching a false gospel, who are teaching a different Jesus, those who are teaching for shameful gain the things that they ought not to be teaching? What about them?
6: We are meant to be a sight to behold. A-
0: yeah, you're taking the temple you know, from Old Testament saying that the unity of the body of Christ is supposed to be a sight to behold. Really?
6: Place for the very presence of God, for the anointing of God, for the power of His Word, for the deliverance of people bound, for the rescue of people that have been taken, lives that have been destroyed, to see what God would do on this earth if we would agree to be joined together into a holy dwelling place.
0: If we would agree... If we would agree to just, you know, put all of our doctrinal differences aside and have unity for the sake of unity. That's not what the building of the temple text is teaching us.
6: For his glory. I want you to see four parallels. The first one is obvious. We've been talking about it. We are being built together into God's temple. Number one, we are being built together, not just built. Everybody say built together. together. Say it one more time. We are being built together. Together into God's temple. I want to throw out a few minutes of lesson in contrast. Um, Sometimes we get the idea of what something is like by thinking what the exact antithesis of it would be. And God has a number of occasions in the word where he puts these contrasts in the same scriptures. Listen to Jeremiah 24, verse 6. Jeremiah 24, verse 6 says this. This is God speaking. I will set my eyes on them for good, and I will bring them back to this land. I will build them up and not tear them down. I will plant them and not pluck them up. I want to say that again. I will build them up and not tear them down. The opposite, I know this is obvious, but just work with me here. The opposite of him building up is tearing down. The opposite of being torn down is being built up. So just get those two contrasts in your mind.
0: All right, so we got the contrast, tear down, build up. Now watch what she does with this.
6: And under the inspiration of the Spirit, the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 13.10, 2 Corinthians 13.10, For this reason I write these things while I'm away from you, that when I come I may not have to be severe in my use of authority that the Lord has given me for building up and not for tearing down.
0: Yeah, read that in context, 2 Corinthians 13. This is Paul writing against the super apostles, and that's not to say that Paul never tore down. He did. Read the uh, epistle to the church at Galatia.
6: So the first one is whatever I say, I mean, building up, and then there's what? There's what? And then there's... So here's what I want to just throw out to you. I I believe we could clearly see two distinct camps in Christianity and then a cross section of the two. In Christianity, we have got those willing to be the builders and then those willing to be the terrors. Anybody know what I'm talking about?
0: Yeah, like how the Apostle Paul, when he said, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel other than the one already preached, let him be damned. W- would that be tearing down or building up?
6: we got builders and we've got terrorists. We've got people who will be part of building up the body of believers. And then we have got people that believe christ is savior they are saved they are redeemed but everything about their lives is about tearing apart the fabric of their own body of believers does anybody know what i'm talking
0: about that would be people like me apparently who point out the false teaching and bible twisting of people like beth moore
6: And and here is what I want to suggest to you. I want to suggest to you, when I say terrors, I'm not talking about T-E-R-R-O-R-S. However, that would not always be completely uncharacteristic. But I'm talking about builders and terrors, those that build up, those that tear down. And I just want to suggest to you that most of the time, people are trained up to be one way or the other. And I say this to any of us who are in any realm of servanthood where we are in front and where we lead. Um, In in raising children, um, in being in any kind of environment where you are bearing influence in um, the things of God and the things of the Scriptures, Let me tell you something. We'll be able to see a tendency one way or the other. Are we people that build up the body or are we people that continually tear it down? Because we will train up our children, train up our classes, train up our congregation, train those people that are under our influence to do exactly the same thing. And we're just cutting our teeth. On one way or the other, and without question, we take up the same kind of habits.
0: All right, now that was part one. We, Like I said, we're going to actually cover the second part of this because that will build on this. And believe me when I tell you, what she's literally advocating and pushing for in this teaching where she set the groundwork today that you heard, she's talking about unity for the sake of unity with no regard to what scripture says to not be associated with those who are false teachers or with no eye toward what scripture says the pastors are to do to teach what's in accord with sound doctrine and to rebuke those who contradict it. This is a unity for the sake of unity message. And, and this is the kind of thing that is extremely, extremely dangerous because we have to, as Christians, be discerning with what Scripture teaches. And that is, is that those who bring us a false Jesus, those who bring us false doctrine, those who are twisting God's word, that they are dangerous. They are to be rebuked and corrected. And if they won't repent, they need to be avoided. The, not my teaching. That's exactly what Scripture teaches. So, like I said, that's part one today. And we'll get to part two uh, in the days ahead so stay tuned alright we're up on our second break if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith you can do so my email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook facebook.com forward slash Christian. follow me on Twitter my name there at Christian. quick break when we come back we will have the uh, uh, sermon review on emojis and emotions <laughs> I'll give you the details on the other side of the break stay tuned don't want to miss it we'll be right back
4: You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. The internet and the countless technologies around us, such as smartphones, tablets, PCs, cameras, video games, have become quintessential parts of our daily lives. In fact, our broadcast might be streaming on your phone right now. Communication and access to information has advanced faster than our ability to manage it responsibly. Texting and email are but two small examples of how technology has provided the means necessary to communicate over long distances, while at the same time giving people the ability to hide behind shadowy anonymity. By its very nature, technology is a double-edged sword. It provides the immediacy we desire and need, yet it also provides gateways for isolation from proper supervision. As adults, we can govern our own actions and submit to others for accountability. Or not. But how good are we at modeling or overseeing technology in the hands of children? Do our children have more knowledge about technology than we do? Do we choose to trust our children with such powerful tools without any oversight? Many people nowadays are aware of the dangers of the internet, such as cyberbullying, sexting, predators, stalking, trolling, video game addiction, pornography, etc. Et but simple awareness is rarely met with measures of protection, appropriate oversight, or or engaging communication. Typically, parents are trusting and simply managing from crisis to crisis because they don't know where to start or what to do in the first place. The Parent Dome was created as a centralized destination to provide parents information on the available security tools for all internet-connected devices. We provide educational instructions on how to protect families from technological immersion and information on a host of potential life-altering risks born from the dangerous elements of the internet. The Parent Dome's mission is to empower parents to be actively aware and engage stewards of technology for their children. Technology advances daily and those seeking to exploit it with the intent to cause harm maintains that same pace. At the Parent Dome, we continually update our website in order to properly address the changing needs of parents and families to better defend them against predatory exploits please visit us at www.parentdome.com for further information. Thank you.
0: All right, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith, sermon review time. are going to be listening to a um, sermon from a church we've never reviewed anything from in the past. tells in a second here. Bad the Ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via South Point Church in Leonardtown, Maryland. Matt Hill presiding. The name of the sermon series is Emojis of Life. I mean, okay, why not? Let's preach on emojis. And this ought to be an interesting sermon for a whole host of reasons. They're kind of following the seeker-driven model, if you would, out there at South Point. So we're going to be listening to see if he preaches Christ and Him crucified for our sins, proclaims repentance and the forgiveness of sins, and teaches sound doctrine and rightly handles God's Word, and explains what's going on in the church uh, from a proper biblical sound doctrine perspective. So I think you've got the idea there. So let me back off on the music, and without any further ado, here is Pastor Matt and his sermon on the Emojis of Life. Here we go.
7: Good morning, and welcome to South Point Church. Today is August 23rd, and we're starting a new series called The Emojis of Life. Well, good morning and welcome to South Point Church. My name's Matt. I'm part of the team here at South Point. And hey, before we dive into uh, the series, uh, we have kind of a saying and we want you to know this. Um, we really, um, it doesn't matter why you're here. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what's been done. We hope that you leave today knowing one thing and that's you matter deeply to God. So if you're here today, you're an answer to prayer. We're so glad that you're with us. Hey, we're launching this this new series called The Emojis of Life. And you know what emojis are? Emojis are images or pictures of faces or emotions. And here's why you need emojis. Because in our modern technology, we use a lot of words in texting, in email, and on Facebook, and Twitter. And the problem is sometimes it's hard to tell exactly what someone is feeling when they are writing these words. And so people came up with emojis because it's important you need more than words when you're communicating you need to also communicate how you feel and this brings something like here's what i discovered emotions must be important if they have to be included in our conversations so that that we don't we, we don't mess it up it's important and here's why it's important i'm going to tell you why it's important because emotions are essential to communicating with other human beings what's going on on the inside of you and because it's so important, it makes it real and relevant to every person here. Some of you are like, well, why do we have to talk about emotions?
0: So emotions and emojis make things real and relevant. So that's why we should preach about them. Right. Yeah, that makes no sense to me.
7: Emotions. I'm a fellow. I don't want to talk about emotions. And then some of you are like, let's talk all about feelings. And we're not going to go to either side of that. But Yeah, but the job of a pastor is to preach the
0: word. Yeah, you know, check out 2 Timothy chapter 4. I mean, it's pretty clear on that. Preach the word in season, out of season, you know.
7: But here's why it's relevant. Here's the first reason why. Emojis of life. Our emotions are important. Here's the first one. Here's what I've discovered, okay? I need you to raise your hand if you've ever had an emotion. Go ahead and raise your hand. Raise.
0: Yeah, I've had emotions, and I'm having one right now.
7: Please raise your hand. If no one has their hand, no, keep them up. Is frustration an emotion? If no one next to you has their hand raised, please call nine one one because they are lying or dead, right? See, see, here's the thing: everyone here has had emotions or feelings. Matter of fact, to everyone and here's what I've discovered about emotions.
0: Wow, we have so much in common. I've, let's have unity.
7: Emotions and feelings. It doesn't matter your age. You could be young, old. You could be anywhere in between. Everyone has emotions and feelings it doesn't even matter your status of relationship because some of you all are like i'm single or or i'm you know i'm married or or i'm widowed or i'm divorced or you know wherever you are on that did you know that even people in relationships have emotions not
0: yeah this is the kind of sermon that if i were sitting in the church and they were doing this i'd be asking myself this question what am i doing here why did i get out of bed for this
7: your head like you understand what Pastor Matt's saying, right? Here's what I've also discovered. It really doesn't matter what kind of job you have. You, you can have a desk job. You can have a boss job. You can have a, like a labor job. You can have an outside job. You can have a working with your hands job. Here's what I've discovered. It really doesn't matter what kind of job you have. You know what I've even discovered? Even engineers have feelings. <laughs> I see. And so it really doesn't matter what your job is. And listen, here's what else I've discovered. It doesn't matter how much money you have in your bank account. You, everyone has feelings. the you, well you here's what I've discovered. It doesn't matter the color of your skin, the language you speak, the content. It doesn't even matter what culture. Here,
0: yeah, now here's the thing. got to remember. Yes, it's important that a pastor preach truth, but not just any truth. What he's saying is true, but it's not biblical truth.
7: Every, just, can, you, can you guys do this with me just one time? Just say everyone. One, two, three. Oh, I love the first service, right? Everyone has feelings. Everyone has them. Here's what else I've discovered: feelings and emotions can happen whether you want them to or not. Smile. Come on, come on now, all right? Come on. Emotions can happen whether you want them to or not. Have you ever not wanted? To-
0: yeah. Consider my, my mind is just blown here. Wow. No way, dude. Ooh. Mufasa, yeah, this is just just giving me goose pimples. I mean, so much truth here.
7: To have emotions like you ever been in a situation where like, oh, please don't get mad or please be happy. Or like, you think of situations where you're like, look cool, look look calm. But but emotions happen whether you want them to or not. And then some of you are like, why do emotions happen whether we want them to or not? And here I discover the first reason we have emotions is because of people. You ever heard the saying, you can pick your friends but not your family? <laughs> Don't laugh too hard if families in the room, right? Okay, here, here's why we have emotions whether we, whether we want to or not. is because we're around people, and here's what we say at South Point Church. There are no perfect people, so you're, 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 you're welcome here. The, all people are welcome here, right? People can cause you to have feelings. Just, you know, go to a restaurant, go to Walmart, try to use customer service on a phone. Uh, go out in the parking lot after church. Please be nice to each other, right? See, you can try not to have feelings, but people will cause you to have feelings. Somebody nods your head like you understand what? Okay, and then here's another reason why we have feelings, even if we don't want to have feelings. It's the peace of life. We're on like information overload, right? Everywhere you go, there is information all around you. It's on your Twitter, it's on the news, it's on the radio, it's your billboards, it's information overload. And the pace of life is hectic. It's, there's not enough hours in the day to get it all done. And so we're always moving. And so we're just always in this kind of roller coaster of space of life. And then here's the, here's the last thing why we have feelings even we don't want to is I call it the pictures of life. If you have a Facebook account or Twitter, you're, you're like, like you vacillate between, oh, that's so great, and I'm so jealous. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Like, they share their highlights, and you look at your normal life and go, I'm lame, right? Like, or or maybe you're that person whose whole life is awesome, right? But like, because of all the pictures of life, and then you watch the news, and then the news you'll see a story about someone saved a kitten, and then the next story is about something horrific and horrible, and how human beings can't get along, and so you're like, oh, cute kitty! And then you're like, tearing, and then you're angry because someone was a jerk. Like, the pictures we have around, us, so between people, that pays the pace of life, and the Pictures that we see are we're just like, oh I don't want to feel, but I do anyway. But here's the last thing. It's why we're actually even talking about it this morning is did you know that emotions and feelings can even hurt? I mean that Yeah, I'm familiar with that. Have been since I was a child. They can even did you know that emotions sometimes happen at the most awkward time when you don't want it to? Fellas, you ever been at a movie with the other fellas? And there's like that sad scene and you're hoping not to cry, but you just bawl like a baby? Right? Like some guys are like, no, I don't know what you're talking about. Right? Like, have you ever like emotions can happen at like the the, the most inopportune time. Like your boss comes in, you need a promotion, and they have the wackiest outfit on, and they say Hey, how does the outfit look? And you are, you are yelling and screaming at your face in your head. Don't let them know they look bad, right? But it, it just, show, like, you, sometimes emotions happen at the most inopportune time. Here's something else. Emotions can also, like, they literally hurt. Like, sometimes you just, you feel like your heart can be broken. You can see a situation. Sometimes we feel shame. Sometimes we feel guilt. Sometimes we feel remorse. We feel loss. They can hurt literally, but here's the other thing that we never ever really talk about. It's the emotional roller coaster that we go through, and and you know what? I, I I thought I'd give you guys a little example of this emotional roller coaster. Like, just think about a trip to the mall, right? Like the emotion that you feel before you go to the mall, especially if you have kids, is stress. <laughs> Are we going to get there? Are we going to get there on time? And if you're a type A person like me, I want to have that mapped out. I want to know what stores we're going to. I want to I'm want i going to accomplish something, right? So I'm all stressed out. But then you're not stressed on the ride because it's beautiful and it's sunny, right? Until someone is going slow in the fast lane and then you feel rage, Right? <laughs> and then so you drive in and then you're like then we all prayed the St. Patrick's Prayer of please Jesus let there be a parking spot two doors from the thing right and so you're looking for a parking spot and a parking spot opens and you're like hallelujah Jesus like you're all excited right Um, and then you go to stores and then you're frustrated because you see the prices and then you don't want your kids to wear those kind of clothes and you're like oh right and and then you look at all the models and then you feel shame because you don't look like that right but then you find something on sale and you're exhilarated woohoo and then on your way home you have buyer's remorse want off that ride i mean can can we just be really honest i mean sometimes uh, the emotion pain isn't just pain it's just that we just go like this and i'm like we verped a little bit you know what a verp is it's kind of like a burp and throwing up at the same time now that made you sick
0: do you have a biblical point
7: (laughs) but here's what i discovered this is the hardest part about emotions As emotions can influence our actions and our decision and lead to results that we don't want. I mean, if we're really honest, our emotions can impact our actions and our decisions, leaving us results that we don't want. Matter of
0: fact, are you talking about? sin so sin coming from our heart is that what you're talking about please be that what you're talking
7: about In fact, you know it'd be great if i could share a story from like 10 years ago but it happened like last week can you share a story from the bible please Week. <laughs> So if you think bad of your pastor, it's true. I need Jesus just like everyone else. Okay. Um, so I don't know about your job. My job has a lot of good things I like about it. There are some days that are are really stressed. And so I had one of those days where it was just stressful. It was a good day, but just lots of stress, lots of decisions, a lot of things we were working on. And I was moving and shaking and I'd started at oh dark 30 and kind of all came, you know, worked all day and I came home and I don't know if anyone's like this, but if you have teen daughters who are off in the summer, right? Listen, I don't mind if you chill. I don't mind if you part. I don't even mind if you're on, you know, like TV and internet. Like, um, that's It's cool chill right but i come home to a messy house like and it's like you know six o'clock and none of the tours are done and so the first thing that happens isn't hey girls how was your day dad loves you my first thought is like i'm just frustration so i go from stress which is one emotion right to now i'm frustrated i'm like like uh, like what i don't get it like just Ah, so anyway, I decided I'm not going to flip out. I'm going to be, I'm, Jesus, thank you, heal me. Like, I'm not going to flip out. And so my my wife's there, and we're talking. And so one of my daughters walks in the room, and I'm like, you know what? My, my girls are teens. Uh, they don't really want to connect with Dad because he's always on the chore thing, right? So I said, hey, oh, it's so good to see you. And they, like, tried to run. <laughs> i like, oh, no, 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 no. I said, well, why don't you come sit down and talk to Mom? I haven't gotten to connect. I've been at work all day. Why don't you come sit down? And, like, we were, like, 60 seconds into like this is supposed to be family bonding time. Uh, that I said, so what'd you do today? And then my daughter began to tell me how they slept most of the day. And so between the stress and the frustration, I, I just I I I lost it. I was like, what? And so I, I began to like just you know harp and like just be like you know be an overbearing dad. And so we got into this little argument. And, and then uh, it kind of like we just looked at each other. And then my daughter, no lie, it's true story just a week ago, stands up and go, well, that was a great, fun five minutes. And walked away. Why are you That's You all need Jesus. Okay? She gets up and she walks away, and then it's just me and my wife at the table, and she's just staring at me. You know, have you ever gotten stared at by your spouse like... And so I'm just sitting there, and then I go... It's kind of awkwardly silent, which I can't really stand because I love to talk. That's why they give me a microphone, right? So I say to my wife, no, this is my exact words. I go, gosh, I hate it when she's right. (laughs) And you know what? Here's what I discovered. My emotions wrecked a moment and left a mess I didn't want. And it got me thinking, have you, have your emotions ever caused a wreck leaving a mess you didn't want now if your spouse is sitting next to you do not look or elbow him right but come on now how many of you your emotions have impacted your actions or your words and left a mess with your spouse that you didn't want to have how many times has have emotions come in and wrecked a moment with your actions or your words that created a mess with your kids How many of us have our emotions caused a wreck either through our actions or decisions and left a mess with our boss or left a mess with our coworkers, or left a mess with our neighbors or left a mess with our family or left a mess with our classmates or left a mess with our teammates? I mean, I bet every single one of us here can think of a moment where emotions came in, wrecked a moment and left us with a mess we didn't want, which is my opening idea. If you're a type A person, pull out your insert. Emotions can wreck a moment, leaving a mess we don't want and you don't even need to read the bible to know that <laughs> now
0: there's two kinds of people here which kind of makes my point because you haven't even read anything from the bible you've just talked about experiences we all seem to have in common how does this exactly help us in christian discipleship
7: here that don't want to jump on this train Okay, type, type person one is this kind of person. Well, I just am who I am. I'm going to share my feelings, and I'm not going to be fake. Listen, I, I, want, to, I want to acknowledge the person that just says, well, I'm just going to share all my feelings because I don't want to be fake. Like, I get that. But, but here's the thing. I know for a fact that even if you feel that way, you don't want to be a jerk. And here's the thing that I've learned, and I bet that you've learned. The only human being to share all their feelings all the time and never be fake is a baby. There's a reason why adults don't always share all the feelings all the time, not because they're fake, but because they care about other people. And if you're here today, I'm going to believe the best that you care about other people. Here's the second kind of person, and they tend to typically be men, but they can be women. They go something like this, I don't feel. I'm like, hey, listen, Arnold, you're not the Terminator. Sever guys. Well, I don't feel. I don't feel anything. Well, you know what? I, I don't believe that. See, people that say I don't feel anything, or I don't have feelings, really what they're saying is they can't control how they feel or they've been hurt or feelings scare them or they don't know how to deal with feelings. So they're going to choose to. St-
0: yeah, I'm having feelings. Like I said, they're not positive at this point. I'm frustrated because you're not doing your job as a pastor to preach the word. Will you
7: get to a biblical text? I really do hope so. Stuff or ignore. And can I just tell you that humanity over thousands and thousands of years, whenever you stuff or ignore, it never ends well. So if you're those two people who go, well, this one ain't for me, I just want to encourage you. All of us have wrecked moments and left messes because we've allowed our emotions to influence us. And so we're left with some tough questions this morning, aren't we? Like, listen, everyone's got feelings, right? All of us. And then by the way, you see some of you are here and you're like, hey, I just wanted to check this thing out. I'm not a follower of Jesus. Some of you are like, hey man, I just started following this guy Jesus. Some of you have been like, I've been following Jesus for a long time. All of us have emotions. And emotions happen even when we don't want them to. And so the question we're left with this morning is, how do we not wreck moments leaving messes we have to go clean up? How do we have a few of those? Are you and I only... Yeah, but what
0: is the solution for those who have sinfully wrecked a moment? Is it repentance and the forgiveness of sins? Saying you're sorry to those whom you've hurt and asking them to forgive you?
7: left with luck and hope that the circumstances are always right so we never feel bad or how do we get off this roller coaster that every day, every hour, every week I just do this ride and then here's the one that's really scary and it's okay to ask does God even care does God even care about how I feel and so over the next few weeks, we're going to look at this and through this series called The Emotional Life and look at our feelings. But there's something we have to clear up first. And here's, here's the first thing we have to clear up when it comes to emotion and feelings is the church is often weird. It's okay. This is church. You're in a safe place. I see people near the exits going, What? Like We're not going to be weird, but there are churches that are sometimes weird. I'm going to give you three different kinds of churches when it comes to emotion and feelings. We've got to address this first before we move any further, right? There are some churches where feelings are bad. Matter of fact, what church
0: would that be? I'm, I can't think of a single church I've been in where feelings, you can't have any of those are bad.
7: Huh? Other Christians have called these churches, were so Christ-like to other Christians, right? The Frozen Chosen. Right? Have you all seen?
0: Oh, you mean those who aren't driven by emotional ism. They, they don't believe that emotions are bad or feelings are bad. It's just that they're not in the driver's seat.
7: Churches like it. Like you have to re- dress really sharp. You have to show up with a big old Bible. And it's all about what you think. And it's all about what you know. And no one smiles because you don't want to have emotions. Emotions are bad. And logic is.
0: Yeah, this is what we call a straw man. What he's describing doesn't exist. ...is
7: good. And there's no room for feelings. That's weird, right? Like, I thought you were a human being, not a human doing. I thought we weren't supposed to be cyborgs. We're supposed to be humans, right? And so that, it's all based about what did you learn today? But then there are churches that the exact opposite of those. And you've probably been to some churches like that where it's all about feelings. Oh, worship was so good today. I felt so good. The pastor's sermon felt so good. Everything, feel, 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 feel. It doesn't matter if the theology is wrong. It doesn't matter what they teach you is wrong. Like, it's just feelings, right? Like,
0: and that's, All right, so Matt cares something about true theology. That's good because we haven't gotten any theology yet.
7: Just as backwards as having no feelings. And so it's all about what did you feel at church today? And then there's a third type of church. It's the kind of church where everyone ignores their feelings and pretends that they don't exist. It's the kind of church that says, hey, listen, emotions and feelings aren't bad. But the only thing that matters is did you go through the motions? <laughs>
0: Again, what – I I don't understand any of the three churches he's described, although the second one, I mean, sounds closest to something real in his caricatures. I'm just not – I don't even think that all three of the churches that he's describing, that they are real.
7: And so I think, you know what? We don't have to be weird about emotions and feelings. And here's the great thing god jesus and the bible actually address this whole thing and this morning i just want to go through three brief things that i think the scripture god and jesus through his holy spirit teaches about dealing with life and our emotions and here's here's the first observation emotions are a gift that matters and can mislead emotions are a gift that matters and can mislead
0: I agree with that. See, emotions are a. But do you have a biblical text that you can be exegeting
7: this from, please? Gift from God. Now, listen. I need. Every, I know some of y'all are like, "I'm writing this down. I'm gonna get an A. I'm not grading. I promise." Okay. Listen. I need to. I need to. Here, listen. See, emotions are a gift from God because emotions and feelings are the major reason that we move from existing to living. Nod your head. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's the fact that you and I feel, we feel compassion, we feel pain, we feel love, we feel despair, we feel other things. The thing that is a gift is that you and I move from just existing to actually living because we actually feel. It's a great and awesome gift. Matter of fact, did you know?
0: Yeah, I don't really know anybody who bifurcates themselves the way you're describing here. The job of a pastor is to preach the word. Can you actually go into biblical texts in context without ripping them out of context to support what you're saying? That
7: God and Jesus felt and had emotions. Yeah,
5: yeah
0: well, this is true. Yeah, Jesus definitely had emotions. I mean. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know how groundbreaking that's going to be
7: for people, but okay. Yeah, I've been around crazy church people that they, all, they, they they have either kind of like two modes, like holy mode. Oh, praise Jesus, right? And they call each other brother and says, which is fine, but like, this is, that's not how I grew up, right? And then there are other people like, no matter what happens, they look sour. Boo. <laughs> like, man, I, Jesus conquered hell and death. We should be like, hooray, right? Right, and so, and so
0: just makes me want to ask the question, I mean, do you know the people who you are pastoring? I know the people I'm pastoring, and sometimes when somebody is low and down or dour, it's because the circumstances in their life are pretty severe. They're going through something difficult. I mean, why would we judge somebody based on, on the emotions they're expressing in the moment? I don't know anybody who, for the, you know, For the entirety of every time I've ever spoken with them, they're nothing but sour, dour, and down. It's kind of a rare bird. At least none of the people that I actually pastor do that. Although, from time to time, they might seem down. And in that case, my job is to pastor them, to minister to them, see if they're okay.
7: Okay, listen. Jesus and God had feelings. As a matter of fact, we're going to put it up on the screen. It's on the back of your insert. We're going to put up on the screen. Did you know that God and Jesus felt these things? Did you know that God? In Genesis six six, it says the heart of God felt pain. God had a broken heart over humanity.
0: Yeah, he did, and that's uh, the prelude to the flood narrative.
7: You and I are made
0: in the where he judged the whole world. Yeah, just pointing out that he had feelings. <laughs>
7: Seems a little bit slipshod, you know, image of God. When your heart breaks, that means you live. You, you do more than exist. In John fifteen eleven, Jesus talk about how-, how does it
0: mean that you do more than exist? God's name, Yahweh, means the existing one.
7: Have this great joy. Jesus was joyous in Matthew eight twenty four, Jesus is asleep in the middle of a hurricane because he felt exhausted when Jesus was at the temple and they were, they were, they were commercializing the love of God and selling
0: Aren't you glad to know Jesus wasn't a robot? I mean, what exactly is your point?
7: Selling stuff. He got angry because they were using God to make money. Jesus ran into a widow who was coming away who was bearing her only son. And he was sad. And then in the garden of Gethsemane. Jesus said, I despaired to death. Jesus wasn't just one feeling all the time. God doesn't just have one. Fi- Emotions matter. They're, yeah, who says they don't? They're, they're a gift from God. But here's the thing. They can also mislead us. Smile. Yeah, this is true. Come on, uh, y'all act like you don't know what I'm talking about. How many of y'all ever fell in love, but you didn't marry that person, and that was a bad person, right? Don't raise your hand if you're ma- No, never mind. <laughs> Filter, trying to work on it, right? <laughs> right? You ever, how many of this? I felt like my team's going to win today, and they got stumped, right? I feel like, you know, we know that feelings can mislead. The feelings, oh, listen, here, here's a statement that I think, if you want to write down, this is true. Okay, you ready? Feelings are real. But they're not always reality. Okay. Y'all didn't hear me, because if you heard me, you'd have been like, oh, that makes sense, Pastor Matt. Okay, ready? Feelings are real. Nod your head. I have feelings. I'm not denying your feelings. You can have real feelings. Feelings are real, but they're not always Reality. Have you ever, like, told your kid, no, go clean up your room. You can't go and play. And they go, oh, I hate you. Well, they don't really hate you. They just feel angry because they didn't get to do what they wanted to do.
0: And that type of behavior is an argument for the doctrine of original sin. Are you going to talk about these in light of sin? Have you had, And then repentance, forgiveness of sins, Christ and him crucified for our sins.
7: Ever had, like, a one of those budget moments with your spouse? Those are beautiful things. That's where you, like, need Jesus and marriage counseling all at the same time, Right. Right. right, and then you feel like your spouse doesn't love you because they're like, hey, we're not richy rich, we actually have to budget, we actually have to like make wise decisions, and you feel like they don't love you, but the truth is they do. Like see, we understand that feelings are real, but they're not always real. Let me give you an example of this. How many of y'all have ever used a GPS to get somewhere? Raise your hand if you've ever used a GPS. Okay, alright. Uh, this was uh, about a month ago. I was going, it was my wife's birthday present. It, her birthday had passed, but we were taking a couple friends and we were going up to Baltimore. Uh, she wanted to see like at one of those uh, mystery theater dinner things. And so it was up in Baltimore. I didn't know where it was. Uh, so I got the location and I put it in the GPS and GPS, man, it's so smart because GPS can tell you where you need to go. It indicates what is going on in the direction that you need to go. Nod your head. you like, you understand what I'm talking about. Right? So the GPS is going to get me to my location so we can have a blast. We can have fun. I can celebrate my wife. Right. But as we're going along it speaks to me that's so cool right? my phone says there's slow traffic in 15 minutes would you like to take a detour
0: you know here's the thing it's not that this is exegetical it's not he's ripped every verse out of context that he's even mentioned it, this is this isn't really biblical doctrine this more or less sounds like some kind of a speech given by captain
7: obvious and i'm the moron that goes sure i'm up for an adventure i mean the ship we're, the mystery tour is on a boat and so if we're not there on time we're we're getting left and, and so i go sure yes accept and then so next thing i know i'm on like this back road behind a truck going like two miles an hour and i'm trying not to curse in front of people who go to church with me because i'm like if i if i ruin my wife's birthday i'm gonna have some emotion she's gonna have some emotion and we'll wreck the moment you know what i'm talking about and so, so like, here's the thing. The GPS was great and gave me great indications, but just because it offered a different path didn't necessarily mean it was right. Matter of fact, I love the scripture in Hebrews 12. We do this, speaking to the church and speaking to those who follow Jesus, we do this by keeping our eyes on, on who? See, now I'm going to stop here and just preach a little old school. See, too many of us got our eyes on our bank account, on the politics, on what the preacher says, on how your kids are doing, what your grades are, how your job is going. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. The champion who initiates and perfects our faith, because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. So let me, just, let me just break it down. Just make it very, very simple for everybody. The cross was a shameful place. Jesus got nailed. He got whipped. He got spit on. He was treated in a shameful way for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And Jesus felt shame about going through that situation. Now, listen, Jesus didn't have to go through that situation. He could have said, uh-uh. And then you and I would have not had our debt paid and we'd be separated from God.
0: All right. So we have some mention of the cross But in the context of emotions, at least a side note that it had something to do with uh, debt being paid, but he's not preaching the cross. He's not proclaiming Christ crucified for our sins. He's just mentioning that
7: Jesus did something about debt paying on the cross. So here's the thing. Jesus didn't do what he felt like doing. Not, you see, come on now, we're adults, right? Everyone look at me, come on. Jesus didn't feel like doing it, but he did it anyway.
0: So you're preaching the cross in a way to kind of guilt us about our feelings. In a sense, this is turning the cross, the gospel, into law.
7: Right? See? The feelings was real. I mean, Jesus felt it was a real legitimate feeling, but he didn't let his feeling dictate what he would do because he had a destiny. See, sometimes we forget that we have a destiny.
0: Uh, oh no. It's time for the destiny thingy, Doctor.
7: Oh, I like how the author and writer Lisa Turkhurst said it. She said... Feelings are indicators, not dictators. And so this morning, as we even begin to start this series, we need to know that emotions and feelings are a gift that move us from existing to living. And that your feelings are real. From existing to living.
0: No text says that. That's your slogan you made up. Real, but they're not
7: always reality. And here's the truth. Our feelings aren't always directives. It could be bad pizza, it could be bad thinking, it could be a bad circumstance. Instead of fixing your eyes on your feelings or fixing your eyes on the situation, the scripture says to fix your eyes on on Jesus. Because feelings are real, but they're not always right, which leads me... Uh- yeah, um, Hebrews 12
0: isn't talking about... Fixing our eyes on Jesus rather than our emotions. In fact, it's kind of important that you understand that coming out of the great hall of faith passage, which is Hebrews chapter 11, you then get into Hebrews chapter 12. Talking So Hebrews 11, talking about by faith Abraham, by faith Moses, by faith all of these people did these things they did. So then you get to Hebrews 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses... Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. It's also important to note, Hebrews 11 has, as one of the main themes in it, this idea that all of these people died in faith, not receiving the promises, looking forward to the city whose builder is God. This is an eschatological hope that we're, we're looking to. Jesus doesn't meet us in the past, He's going to meet us face to face in the future when the kingdom is revealed and is, you know, that kind of thing. That's what's going on in Hebrews 12.
7: We continue uh, to my second point, which is God cares. How many of y'all come on? Come on now. Listen, I, I, I'm a pastor and I love Jesus, but I know I've asked this question a lot. God, don't you come on? God, Don't you care? God. And then I want to answer this question because some of us here, I get it. You know, maybe you didn't, you didn't grow up in church. Maybe, maybe you don't really have a strong faith. You, you've had some bad things happen and you, you feel this. You go, there's no, what happened to me? There's no way that God could care about me if, if, if this thing happened. And, and so often we ask this question, does God care? And here's the answer that I have for you. I believe the cross stands for all eternity. How much God loves you. This is true. And see, when I say God loves you, every person in this room thinks, well, God loves the person next to me. But
0: God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ dies for our sins. But you don't know me, Pastor Matt.
7: I want you to listen. If you don't hear anything else today and preachers lie when we say that, because I hope you hear all that I say. I need everyone to focus. God orchestrated my life and God orchestrated your life for this very moment for you to be sitting here, for you to hear these words that you matter deeply to God. And if you had been the only person, he would have sent his son to die on the cross. And God does care.
0: Yes, he truly does. But the text makes it clear. God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for our sins You need to give the details of the gospel and what it took to save us and for our sins to be atoned. Put the rest of the meat
7: around that bone. Now I don't have time in this message to talk about why we experience pain, why we experience suffering. All I know is the truth of this, that love requires choice. You have to be able to choose for real love to be real love. It can't be forced. You have to choose. Here we go with the Pelagian or semi-Pelagian heresy. So somehow God is sovereign and somehow God allows humans uh, free choice and somehow that all works together so that we can choose to love God. And then when God gives us the ability to make choices, we hurt each other and we hurt ourselves and we experience pain. But the cross doesn't answer why you experience pain. It shows how much you matter to God that he would give his one and only son for you.
0: Yeah, he died
7: for your sins. Uh, So close matter of fact, this scripture, um, I believe is in, um, is it Proverbs 38 or Psalm 38? We're going to put it up there. It's coming up there. The Lord is close to the? The Lord is close to the? Y'all didn't hear me, church. The, the Lord is close to the? If you're here and you got a broken heart, great news, God is close to you.
0: Yeah, that psalm, again, uh, he's quoting Psalm 34, verse 18. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. This is describing the crushing and the brokenheartedness that one experiences when they look at their lives in light of God's law and realize that they have sinned against God. This is the kind of repentance that is sorry specifically for Sinning against the Lord, Psalm 51, against you and you only have I sinned. This is, that's the kind of crushing that's being described here.
7: Yeah. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. God deeply cares, but God will never force himself into your life or into your situation. Matter of fact, Jesus, we're going to put it up on the screen says, when he saw the crowds, he had had compassion because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He saw this mass of people. But between other people, the pace of life and the pictures of life had gotten it all wrong. Life was all messed up and there was no one in their life to point them in the right direction. And so they would wreck their moments creating messes that they didn't want. And Jesus looked at him and he didn't go.
0: This is because they were sinful by nature, born dead in trespasses and sins. Read Ephesians 2, 1 through 3.
7: All oh, bad, silly people. He looked at him and said, I have compassion. God deeply, deeply cares. Yes, he does. For you. Got a quick question. How many, how many y'all sent kids to their, to school this week? How many, how many, how many, how many sent? Yeah. God bless you. We should sink you afterwards if your kids are still alive, right? I don't know about you, but like, I try not to look at Facebook the day after school starts because everyone posts their pictures. Have you ever seen that? Like, oh, the first day of school pictures is like one billion lines of cu- the cutest kids, you know, all dressed up and mom's got to take pictures of them. And the, some of the, some of the teen kids are like, really? You know, they have that look like, don't do this. As a matter of fact, one of my daughters says, it's my image. And I will see you. <laughs> so, anyway, <laughs> I love it there. I don't know where they would have gotten that saltiness or spiciness from. <laughs> God pays you back. Anyway, <laughs> here's the thing how many of y'all's kids have ever said, I feel so good about going to school? Okay, if you raise your hand, please don't do that. <laughs> you're just you're setting your kid up. Like, don't do that. We don't want to get beat up. No, serious. Like, when you send your kids to school, kids don't go, I feel like going to school, right? Why do you send your kid to school? It's good for them. And so listen, you as a parent, while you want them to be happy, that's a priority. But you have a higher priority than their happiness. Your highest priority is their well-being. See, listen, this, this, is, this would have preached a whole sermon all by, see, God cares more about your well-being than you feeling good. See, that's what good parents do. Good parents care more about your well-being than making you feel good. And that's exactly what God does. And see, sometimes, and listen, I get it. Listen, I came, listen, my mom took her own life. I got sent to a counselor's counselor. Listen, I've had bad things happen in my life. And I get it. And there's pain there. It's legitimate pain. It's real pain. But here's the great news. God cares more about preparing you for eternity than he does perpetually making you happy. Let me ask you a question. What do we call parents who perpetually make their kids happy by giving them everything that they want? What's the word we use? Enablers or what? It starts with an S. What do we call those kids? Okay, so let me ask you a question. If we would call human parents spoiling their kids for giving them everything they want to make them happy, why do we expect God to do that for us? I mean, isn't that that what we do? We expect, I want that closed parking spot. I want to have my ice cream flavor. I want my bank account to magically have more money. That doesn't happen. I don't care what preacher on TV says.
0: I'm glad that he recognizes that there are those who are teaching false doctrine. That's a good thing. He doesn't consider all all preachers to be Christians or all preachers to be uh, preaching Christian doctrine. The issue here is he's not exegeting a biblical text. Instead, this is kind of like moralistic, therapeutic deism. You know, yes, Jesus feels for you. He has strong feelings, and that's good to know. But when he gets to the gospel, he doesn't drill down into the specifics at all. And we've got blended into this sermon pretty much his reasons, his rationale, his uh, syllogisms, and, you know, and... Again, this is more like group therapy than it is, well, Christian uh, sermonizing.
7: I need you to know God does care about how you feel. He's orchestrated all of history for you to be here and hear this. But I want you to know that God cares more about your well-being than you feeling good in the moment. Because someday God will fix all of history and he'll make every wrong right. True.
0: So I'm glad we got an eschatological hope at least mentioned here.
7: The word is yet. So God wants to prepare you for eternity to be able to enjoy that. So leads me to observation number three. The number one reason for the roller coaster is our unfair expectation. Now, listen, this is worth the price of admission. You can put something
0: extra. Unfair expectations. Wouldn't that be also as a result of our sin?
7: Offering if you want. You don't have to if you don't want to. The number one reason for a roller coaster is our unfair expectations. This is a principle that you can apply to marriage, parenting, your job, your career, and your finances. Okay, you ready? I'm going to break down. This is. Let me tell the story. I'll be able to explain it a little bit better with the story. Um, My wife and I went on vacation with our family.
0: Notice he's launching into a personal story rather than a biblical text.
7: And we were there, and it was only for a few days, but it was nice. It was at the beach, and it was sunny, and there was all this stuff. And so my wife says, hey, on our last day, why don't we go out to a a nice restaurant? You know, not one of those little cheap places where we've been going. Let's go to like a really nice restaurant. I was like, sure. She says, I tell you what, I'm gonna go on to Yelp, and I'm gonna try to find the best place. And I go, babe, just do whatever, man. Awesome. Figure it out, and I'll say yes. Right? 21 years of marriage, I've learned, right? So, she looked it up on Yelp, she picked out this restaurant, she goes, this restaurant? And I'm like, that's a pretty expensive restaurant. she said you said yes i said okay <laughs> so anyway, we went to this restaurant and it wasn't a bad like it was a nice little restaurant and the food was the food wasn't bad but man when i got the bill i had a heart attack martha i'm coming right See, anyone 40 and over knows Sanford and Sons, right? (laughs) So I'm feeling the mature folk in the family here, right? Okay, so anyway, listen, here's my point, is I had this expectation that the food would be phenomenal for this high price. The problem and the reason I was unhappy wasn't that the food wasn't good. The reason I was unhappy is the food wasn't as good as I was expecting. See this is where our unfair thing is. Come on now see here 's what we think i 'm american i 'm a Christian, so I should be happy all the time. I deserve happiness, and i 'm going to aim for happiness and i 'm going to pick happiness i 'm going to show you a little roller coaster slide up here we 're going to put it up here I got a roller coaster. See, see the happy face at the top, and it kind of goes happy, less happy, less happy, not so happy, sad, sadder, and then finally just anger, rage, right? And see, here's the problem. We aim for happy all the time. The problem with aiming for happy all the time is something called life. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Man. Yeah, he's really not preaching the word. Christian slogans, kind of moralistic therapy going on here, um, group therapy. But again, this is not biblical, exegetical preaching based upon what the text of Scripture reveals. So this is not Christian doctrine we're getting. We're getting something else. It's truthy, but it's not biblical truth.
7: Big difference. See, one person understands what I'm talking about. See, life is specifically designed to not make you happy. Okay, can, whoa, whoa, whoa. Y'all look confused. Maybe no one's told you the truth. So today, I'm going to tell you the truth, but this isn't my truth. This is the truth of Jesus. Matter of fact, here's the words of Jesus in John 16:33. He said, I've told you all of this. John 16, 33, I have told you all of this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have a nice house. You'll get everything that you want. You'll get to eat chocolate and go to Hawaii and have two and a half kids. Is that what it says? It says, here on earth, you will have many what? And? So let me just get this right. I just want to make this crystal clear. Nowhere does Jesus promise you a Cadillac You know, two and a half kids, and a nice house, and all things you want. Matter of fact, Jesus, the reason I follow Jesus, I don't follow religion, I don't follow a church, I don't follow a pastor, I follow a person named Jesus. Jesus is a truth teller. He says, by the way, here on the earth, because the earth is busted, and people are busted, and the systems are busted, you're going to experience some bustedness. Nod your head. If you're an adult, you understand what I'm talking about. So here, let's go back to our little roller coaster slide. Thank media people, you guys are rocking it today. Thank you. So here's what happens we aim for happy. So happy we're gonna cry, but life is designed to make us feel bad. And so we aim for something that we want way up here, but life does this, and there's this big gap between what we expected and what happens. So here's what happens. We begin to chase the high of happiness. And we do. Some of us chase it through ice cream and food. Some of us chase it through porn and illicit relationships. Others of us chase it through workaholism. Some of us chase it through money. Some of us will chase it through religion. If I do A, B, and C, then God must do this. We may chase accomplishments or winning. We'll chase all kinds of things. But here's the thing about happiness. It's always temporary. It's always in the moment. You eat an Oreo cookie, you're like, oh, it's so good. And then when they're all gone, you're sad. (laughs) See, happiness is just a momentary pleasure. Your team wins. You're like, woo, And then, but you lose the fantasy football league and you're sad. See, life is designed to go like this and yet our expectations. So, Matt, are you telling us that we can never be happy? No. I'm saying there's something different than chasing happiness. Not that God doesn't want you to be happy, but there is an alternative. Matter of fact, we're gonna put it up on the screen, Ecclesiastes six three. It says a man might have a hundred children and live to be very old. Listen, back in those days, for a husband and wife to have lots of kids, not only did you have to be viral, you also had to have the economic means to support that. So this means, listen, if you had a 100 children, that means you had more than one bride, so you, you were awesome, and you had the economic means. It basically meant you had it going on like Donkey Kong. You had all that and lived to be very old. So not only did you live like, you know, just had it going on and you lived to be old, but if you found no in life and doesn't get a decent burial, it would have been better for him not to be born. Later, the wisest man, King Solomon, writes a little bit later or earlier in Ecclesiastes 3.13. He says that each of them may eat and drink and find What if instead of chasing the high of happiness, we pursued a satisfying life?
0: Yeah, you're kind of missing the whole point of Ecclesiastes. And let me put a plug in here. If you have not heard Jeremy Rhodey's lecture on the book of Ecclesiastes from the 2015 Pirate Christian Radio Conference, yeah, you you need to listen to it and compare what Rhodey does in exegeting uh, uh, um, Ecclesiastes to what you're hearing here. Well, we continue.
7: See, one is momentary. And see, the other can have uncomfortable moments, but has lasting joy in doing something satisfying. See, when you chase the high of happiness, it's all about your circumstances, it's all about you controlling the circumstances around you. If you chase a satisfying life, here's what you believe you have conviction. You have conviction that all people matter, not just you. You have a conviction that maybe there's a creator who does love you. And that this this isn't all there is. And so we're left with really two choices this morning as we leave. We can chase the circumstances and hope that every moment that we experience is great. Or we can have conviction that there's a God who made us, a God who loves us, a God who wants to be our friend. And we could chase a satisfying life all right i gotta land this plane my num- i don't think you can do it numbers are in red uh embarrassing story
0: uh you're gonna end with a personal embarrassing story man we get so little of god's word and so much of your life mm, that's not good
7: about a month ago, there was a movie came out called Inside Out. We're going to show a little picture of it. Anybody seen the movie Inside Out? It's like a little cartoon. We drug our kids. They're teens, but we didn't care. We're like, oh, you, you you know, we're just going to bring them. So anyway, we went to this movie, and we thought it would be like one of those Pixar funny movies. You know, you ever go to those funny movies? Um, and, and it wasn't so funny. Um, matter of fact, we're watching the movie, and my wife and I are crying through most of it. Matter of fact, my wife is crying so hard, she's using pieces of clothes to, like, wipe the tears away because it's about this daughter who is disconnected from her parents because she's, you know, got life's happening and there there's some changes going on and she's pushing away and they're trying. And it reminded us of like, we have teen daughters. They need to be teens. They need to learn. They need to like separate from the nest. I get that. But I was like, oh, my girls they are 15 and 16. They're growing up. And so there I am in the movie theaters with people know me and I am bawling. Like I'm sniffling and I got this shirt that I wear and I'm like, I'm, I'm trying to hide my face because it's like, oh. And in that moment, I realized something as I watched the movie, because there was these different feelings. There were disgust, fear, sadness, anger, and joy. And this idea was that every moment was supposed to be joy-filled, but the reality is life isn't like that, and life would be unhealthy if every moment was joy-filled, because it's not reality, and you'd be spoiled, and it'd be unhealthy. That the reality is, I don't need to teach my kids, I don't need to teach myself, and I shouldn't aim for being happy all the time. That part of living... Is experiencing all those emotions. And that maybe instead of trying to make my kids and myself and my family happy all the time, I need to ask a better question Am I aiming for a satisfying life?
0: That would be the wrong target, too.
7: And here's the great thing here's the reason that you and I can choose a satisfying life. Because there is a creator. This creator loves you. This creator sent his son Jesus to die on a cross. The tomb is empty.
0: Why did he die on the cross exactly? Could you give me some of the details of that, please? You keep coming dangerously close to actually preaching the gospel, but never quite seem to pull it off.
7: He provides a way for us to have a satisfying life, and we can live that satisfying life based on conviction, not circumstances. So I want to ask you a question this morning. What are you pursuing? This is a
0: question of the law. Are you going to give them the gospel for real? You haven't even talked about repentance and the forgiveness of sins.
7: Are you pursuing the high of happiness and hoping all the circumstances? Are you aiming for a satisfying life? One will put you on a roller coaster. The other will get you off.
0: Yeah, and I don't even think what you're saying will keep people off of an emotional roller coaster. I don't even think it'll take any of the bumps out of it at all. Let me pray. Done. Yeah, that is an example of moralistic, therapeutic deism. Heavy on the law, mentions of the gospel, but not quite actually preaching the gospel. There's a difference, by the way, big difference altogether. What did you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at Pyro Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ's vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.